Ramblers is your one-stop destination for everything CSU sports related. I'm Caleb Allen. And I'm Austin Martin. We're going to bring you the latest updates, insightful commentary, and behind-the-scenes stories that keep you connected to the Rams' athletic endeavors. To listen to other episodes, you can go to kcsufm.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Ramblers airs live every Thursday, 7 to 9 p.m. on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. This is a pre-recorded episode. KCSU Fort Collins, Caleb Allen, Austin Martin, and we got a friend in the studio today, Adam. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you? We're doing, uh, we're alive, man. This is Ramblers. It's been 15 years since the last time we were on this, uh, these airways for this radio show, Austin, and uh, you've aged quite a bit, actually. Yeah, you know, I last time I was here, I had a full head of hair. It was crazy. Yeah. Now I'm bald, but uh, I'm happy to be back. Honestly, I miss my, yeah. I miss this show. I miss uh, putting out some sports information for our listeners, good or bad. Yeah, well, I mean, it was a bad weekend for you, but we're gonna get into that. Bad weekend for everyone, uh, but not a terrible day for the CSU Rams soccer. We'll kick off our Rambler review with them. They got the job done today. A fireworks of a first half. 2-1 final score. All three of those goals coming in the first half. Austin, you got to catch some of the action today. What did you think of your, uh, I believe, was it your first time seeing this squad? Yeah, that was my first time seeing them this year. And number five, Mia Massey. Is yeah. It, yeah, yeah, that that like header redirect Grease. goal that she had was nasty, dude. It was like outside the box, off the back of the head, and up and over. And that was insane. Yeah, and, and then shout out to their defense, too. Honestly, probably the one mistake they made on defense ended up a goal, yep. which which sucks, but their defense played incredible tonight. Mm-hmm. I think the start of the second half for the first 15 minutes, it did not cross over into our, our side of the field. It was a great job by their defense. Yeah, so two goals in the first one. There was no Olivia Fout today as she was suspended after getting a red card on Sunday afternoon, but they got the offense going either way. Two quick goals, I believe both were done in the first 30 minutes. Or 22 minutes, I believe. I think the second goal came in 22nd minutes. So got your offense. And as you said, the defense played really well. That that was a really funky play that Nevada was able to score on. But they get the win nonetheless. It's their sixth win of the season. Halfway to what is their most in a season with 12. Austin, are you a – or excuse me, um, Adam, are you a, a big soccer fan at all or – uh, I'm not much of a soccer fan. I'm just a young buck here at yeah. Colorado State, just yeah. a freshman. So I haven't yeah. got into the scene quite yet. Yeah. Well, you guys, I mean, if, if you have the, the will to do it, Adam, I mean, that's something that I think would be interesting. And Austin, I mean, soccer, I guess, is a widely believed to be a boring sport or not a sport that uh, a lot of Americans don't enjoy watching. But this team this year has been a lot of fun to watch. Oh, they're, I mean, they're rolling right now. They're having a great season. And I never get that argument because if you go into football and you just count out the touchdowns, like if it's like a 21 to 14 game, that's like a decent game. Um, that's that's three to two in soccer. You know, I, I don't know. I, I think the the boring aspect is a little of a stretch. I think that's just kind of the... Mm. Uh, ignorance that some Americans portray towards soccer, in my opinion. But. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's 
I understand why, because there's a lot of boring soccer that does get played on a daily basis. If you try to turn on an MLS game, it's pretty boring. This team, not boring. I've sat through every single game with them this season. I believe this tonight was their ninth game. I've watched every single one, and I haven't been bored once. They've and, scored in every game except for Sunday, and the only goal they gave up on Sunday was a penalty kick. So it's like this team is so strong. And they, they play physical. Like like they, they yeah. have some tough tackles and oh, they're yeah. they're bumping out there. They're getting they're getting physical. There's yeah. a lot of tackles out there. I was like, oh my God. Oh yeah. No, I mean it, it, Sunday was even more physical than today. They kind of were really easy to blow that whistle today, but I mean they get the win. They get the win nonetheless and it's a good start to conference play. It was their first conference match in the Mountain West and volleyball is doing much of the same. We'll get to that in just a second, but I no better way to start off a conference schedule, Adam, than with a win. A win's always great for Colorado State University, and I look forward to getting involved more as we go on. This is a, a job shadow for me tonight, yeah. so I'm very excited to be here, and I appreciate your time. Adam, coming to your airwaves very, very soon to the training program. However, we'll, uh, we'll turn the page now to women's golf. Women's golf getting it done. Um, placing six this week in the Badger Invitational there in Wisconsin. Sophia Torres placed seventh. Um, it's her eighth top 10 finish in her career, now tying Ellen Secor from 2016 and 2019 for 10th all-time in program history, Austin. Yeah, I mean, dude, she's just been getting it done, getting after it. Shout out to her. Um, I mean, I mean, Adam, you might know also just finishing yeah. top 10 in golf. Like, I, I'm, I'm not the golf guy here. We got the golfers <laughs> yeah, over here. Finishing yeah. top 10 in golf. Oh, for just, sure. That, that's impressive as itself. Nice job by her getting it done and keeping that consistency, go, consistency going in her career. Yeah, how hard is that? You were a golfer in high school. Yes, I golfed for four years in yeah. high school, and it is gruesome. Yeah. Those top 10 finishers probably finish in – one under, two under, and then by the time you get to the 10th place, it's maybe 75. Yeah. Par is normally 72. Right. So placing 10th even for the boys' golf was very challenging. Right. I mean, but the, I mean, the, the way these tournaments are a lot, I mean, sometimes it's three days, um, but this tournament and the tournament that they'll play next week are two-day tournaments, so you play 36 holes day one. I mean, I've golfed. I'm not good at it, but I golf, and it's hard to stay mentally focused. And when you have a bad shot, it's hard to kind of realign yourself, and you have to do that for 36 holes. So, I mean, just a place in a collegiate tournament in general is hard, and she's now done it um, eight times in her career. And I imagine you could speak for it. You've probably had some rough days on the links. I've had some very rough days. Yeah. I'd rather not speak on it. Yeah, <laughs> we don't have to. As Andrea Berger's daughter and Kara Kaneshiro, excuse me, tied for 14th, so three Rams finishing in the top 15, Austin. Yeah, I mean, that just shows that our golf program's heading in the right direction. We have a lot of a lot of Rams finishing that top 15, top yeah. 10, and sometimes we we get new names in that top 10 as well, so it shows that they're building that program and really expanding on uh getting people active out there and people are showing up and competing. Yeah, next week the women will get back in action on Monday and Tuesday for the Ptarmigan Classic. I'm going to be there for that one. I can't wait. I love working the home golf tournaments. You only get one for men's and one for women's each year. So turn around, and it's a beautiful course. I don't know if you ever played Ptarmigan. Uh, which one is that? That's that, in Windsor. Yeah. That's in Windsor. So yeah. I've played Pelican Lakes. I've never a been. A, I've never too. hit Ptarmigan, though. Nice. The Ptarmigan's a beautiful course, and if you want to watch some golf, that's an option for you guys on Monday and Tuesday. We'll flip over to tennis. Tennis is uh, now won three, or they won three of five singles matches at the Bedford Cup down there in Colorado Springs at the Air Force Academy. 
Sharko Richterova placed second place in her division. Rodka Buskova f- uh, finished fourth, and Victoria, Victoria, excuse me, Erinchenko got third in her division. So a couple of Rams making some noise there, Austin, and the, the tennis side of things. Yeah, and like I was saying about the golf, a lot of Rams in that that top five, top ten finish there. Um, and I, I've I did go to some tennis my freshman year and just tennis in general is such a fun sport to watch also i I love getting out there and that that that's like one of the that's a very tough endurance type of sport too you're out there going sideline to sideline coming up on the net um shout out to them doing all that this weekend and, and doing well also top two top five finishes that's great and Connor Jones on the men's side of things for golf placed top 10 this week. I can't remember exactly where they were at. My brain is not allowing me to, but t- Connor Jones is, uh, I believe, his third top 10 finish of the season. There are only a couple events in. Connor Jones had a great summer, too. We talked about a few weeks ago. Um, he's in the, you know, once again, he's placing high in a tournament, and they have uh, plenty of ways to go in their season still, too. Yeah, and shout out to him. He had a bogey free round going until his 12th hole. Yeah that that's impressive i mean i i probably if it's a par three or something i'm probably gonna have like a quadruple bogey or (laughs) whatever word that is if that i don't know so shout to him though that that's just showing that he he's locked in mentally too because going that long in a round without a bogey is pretty impressive especially at this level too playing for this collegiate team in the collegiate level so shout out to connor there he's he's doing his work nice job yeah, I I believe uh, they just they had their hosted their tournament two weeks ago and another top finish for him there. Christoph Blyer also top fifteen finish for him, but for Connor Jones in round one on I believe Monday was round one of the week, he wasn't even close to the top ten, and then he finishes strong. I mean, Adam, I mean that's got to be pretty hard to do when you have one of the worst rounds of your your season to that point, and then you turn around and somehow you have a top ten finish to under your to, belt. To have to turn around in golf is definitely the most mentally and even physically driving demanding part of the game to just come back and to put up a good score you know even looking back into last year when they went to the mountain west tournament and didn't quite finish as far as they would like to see them gear up this year again i think the team has gotten a lot stronger a lot more improved and we can only hope for the best yeah and i have a question because we were talking about it before yeah. we came on is that what's the hardest part about golf is the mental aspect when you you, you shank something, you get frustrated or you have a <laughs> bad couple of holes? Is that like the toughest part with it? Or Yeah, we were all sitting here talking about our which sport's the hardest. Yeah. And I right away I said golf and Caleb had to agree with me. Oh, yeah. We both know that there's some days out there when the weather's hot and you're not, you are not. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I will say like I, I've had my issues uh, with the mental side of my game, and it can ruin rounds, at least if you're not in control of your emotions and your mental fortitude on the course, especially, you know, it's it's hole four, you haven't had a good hole yet, and you maybe are four up already at that point, and you're looking at the rest of the course, and you're like, I have to do this for another three hours, three and a half hours, and it's hot, like you said, it, you're sweating, this it's your day off, you're supposed to be having fun with your friends, and before you know it, you're four holes deep, and and it's not very enjoyable. And I couldn't imagine the pressure at even a high school level that you played, Adam, or what these guys are playing in and gals are playing in at the collegiate level. I couldn't imagine the, uh, the, the frustration that could come from a slow start. And Connor Jones turned it around. Um, very impressive. I was definitely impressed to see him finish in the top ten this week. Yeah, but Caleb, I don't get to use a golf cart. 
Yeah, they do walk. <laughs> they do walk. Uh, we had to walk all the time. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. the hot sun's even worse. Yeah. I, actually, I'm a walker. I don't You're like, a walker. I don't like carts. I think it's – I. I found that if I give myself time to walk from where I teed off and I can walk towards my ball, by the time I get to my ball, usually I'm more calm. Whereas if I have to run over to the cart, put my club back in the in the bag, get in the cart, drive, hit a pothole, that's going to irritate me now. And before <laughs> you know it, now I'm, I'm still thinking about my last shot. And it also helps because uh, someone once wisely told me that if you're going to throw your club, throw it in the direction of your ball. So if I throw my club, which I do quite often, unfortunately – throw it in the direction of my ball, pick it up halfway there, and then stop and get my ball on the way through. And usually, uh, you know, that's how you get it done. Some wise words from someone that might have the same uh, mental frustrations and outbursts. You know, there's like, I've been there. Yeah. Throw it throw it towards your ball. That's great advice. I used to just throw it straight wherever it went. Wherever it went, I've had it land on top of my cart behind me. I've had it everywhere. Uh, but... Someone said, I said, hey, can I have one tip? He's really, this kid was really good at golf, and I just wanted to get better and improve my game. And I said, can I get one tip here at 6 a.m. In, you know, in the morning? That's the dumbest thing you say. Six, 6 in the morning, give me one first tip for the day. And he goes, if you're going to throw your club, throw it in the direction you're walking. I said, that is, might be the most influential thing, not in golf, but in any avenue in life that someone has told me, and it has actually changed my life and my <laughs> golf game for the better. One other uh, CSU thing going on this week, by the way, I guess last week, the Rocky Mountain Showdown. That was a fun one, uh, kind of a heartbreaker at the end there, but we'll talk about that next on the other side of this music break for Austin, Adam, and Caleb. We're coming up next, Survivor, Eye of the Tiger, here on 90.5 KCSU, Fort Collins. Welcome back to Ramblers here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Caleb Allen, Austin Martin, and a good old friend here, Adam Gross, joining KCSU now. Welcome. You're a freshman getting it done, too. Austin's about 40. I'm 36. So uh, you're getting in the ahead of the game here. Sounds great. I'm glad yeah. to be here, and I'm super stoked. You guys threw me right on it, right into yeah. the fire tonight. So <laughs> Welcome to the you sports know, department. You. Welcome. Yeah. Welcome. That's how you do it. Austin, uh... You mentioned earlier how I had a horrible weekend, and uh, I don't know. I guess maybe I should remove myself from my fandom at times. It's hard during rivalry week. Three days in a row, I watched a team just that I you know follow and I you know call myself a fan of. Just drop a lead, and Saturday night was the second of three, and that was the Rocky Mountain Showdown. What were your initial thoughts of that game on Saturday night? I mean, a- after the game, I-, I or during the game and after the game, it I. I just felt incredibly proud to be a fan of CSU. I know they lost. It sucked. It was double overtime. They had their moments, especially in that fourth quarter. But watching how those dudes played, how Coach Jay Norvell, he he was out there, he was fired up, and just how they handled all the criticism leading up to that week, I I just felt like that was a massive W for our our football program. And I know that people at home, they want to see some wins. And I I do too. I want to see this team win. But I I think this team can get wins. And I – how they 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 played it was just so awesome everybody was making plays they were flying around and i mean boulder was playing well too they had they had some good moments shadur sanders is he is really fun to watch 
the way he just sits in the pocket. He has some great players to throw to, and I, I just loved it. And even that, even the the Shiloh Sanders, he's really fun to watch, and he's playing DB just like his pops. I, I can't I can't hate on any of what Boulder's doing to be honest, but I, I was really pleased with the CSU and how they played. Adam, do you catch much of the uh, the showdown on Saturday? You know what? I've got a a good uh, angle for this story. I guess. Oh, okay. I went to the watch party at Canvas Stadium where they played oh. it on the big screen. Yeah. So I got the full immersive effect of a bunch of freshman students screaming their heads off for. Uh, about three and a half hours. The game ended at 12.30 at night, so it was quite the experience to watch. From that perspective, at first I was really skeptical. I thought that CSU would not even have a shot to get into this game at all. I thought, see, the, I thought Shadur and the Dion effect would just steamroll the Rams, but, you know, by the end of the night, I, it, it, turned, it turned into something special. You know, they may have lost, but it was, it was something to show for the next day. It kind of, I think it embarrassed the CU bus in a sense. No, for sure. And maybe not enough because the fans rushed the field, and I'm never one to criticize a fan base for doing that. I think it's a fun memory. I was a part of a few during the basketball season in 2021-22. And it's, so I don't want to take anything away from that, but, I mean, the faces on some of those fans, quote-unquote fans, right, a little uh, disinterested at times, a little just shocked at times, and then you rush the field when you're supposed to win by 24. Austin, how do you feel about something like that? Yeah, I, I get it because, I mean, one, it was one of the craziest games that I've ever watched in college football. Um, like, I, I wouldn't say it's better than that Texas-USC Rose Bowl championship game, but it, it's up there as just one of the best football games I've watched. Yeah. Um, and I, I totally understand them rushing the, the field because it is a rivalry. Yeah. Um, and I... I don't know. It, it would be fun. I was in Boulder, and it was pretty funny to see some of those fans, the, the distraught in their faces. <laughs> They're like, are we actually losing to CSU right now? Like, right. It, it was funny because, I mean, they – they're just in on the uh, some of those fans you could tell they're in on the hype which they should be but it, nah. it was also it was it was good to see just as a CSU fan what be in there just seeing just the uh clear despair in all these fans' faces. It was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, well I guess another big storyline coming out of the game has been the 11.1 million viewers. I think it as what it peaked at about average of 9.3 million all night. And a lot of the talk is, oh, this is the prime effect. This is the prime effect. Well, in my opinion, that was the third game that Prime played. That was probably the worst time slot that they played in because they played in the big noon kickoff the first two weeks. That was a much better spot to watch a game from 10 to 2, right? As you mentioned, Adam, the game ended at 12:30 at night. And people were saying it's all about prime. It's all about prime. How much of those ratings can be talked about when it comes to CSU's side of the things? Because, you know, they didn't get these ratings. CU didn't get these ratings the first two weeks when they played Nebraska. Adam, we can start with you. I think it comes right away from Coach Jay Norvell. Maybe talking a little bit of trash. The sunglasses and the hat with Coach Dion. You know, a lot of people criticized the media hype from this game leading up to it. But part part of that is what led to the fact we had so many viewers in this game at the end of the day that that's really what makes up the media is the, the hype yeah. without it it's a, it's a it's a necessary evil i would think yeah your job as a media and i talked about this on my show on tuesday is to tell the story of the game the story of what's going on the story of the players the coaches all that austin do you agree with adam do you think norvell's comments really are what made this go from just another espn primetime late night game 
to the biggest late night ESPN primetime game in college football history? Well, it, th- that is definitely part of it. One, one big part of it, though, was how they just hyped the the pre the prelude to this game with like having all these big stars there. I mean, we saw Kawhi Leonard at the game, and he doesn't, doesn't even show up he to the LA oh, Clippers. Yeah, games, yeah he doesn't man. even go to Clippers yeah. games. And you see Dwayne the Rock Johnson, Offset, Lil Wayne. All the all these big stars that are going there hyping this game up. Definitely the comments Jay Norvell made got a lot more attention in there because then it just got eyes into like, oh, who's the CSU team? Why why are we even talking about them? And then the, these guys are underdogs, and that definitely fueled the fire. And that I think also not being a lot of we didn't have a lot of uh, green in the stands. There was a decent amount. Our, our sports producer Max, uh, Ebert, yeah. he was there. He was fired up. Got he was on the broadcast. I know, dude. And uh, he was there getting pumped. But uh, I don't. I don't think the CSU sold out their allotted tickets. Nope. Um, but I, I also think that has to do with just not wanting to go to Boulder because yeah. of how lopsided this game was supposed to be. Yeah. Um, but that that made people tune in, and honestly, this was probably this was the CSU Rams Super Bowl. That was the biggest yep. game, biggest game broadcasted in college football, and it was probably it's probably CSU's most important game in their program history. And taking out all these bowl games and stuff, I think this trumps it. To be honest, no, I mean that's a, that's a fair point. You mentioned, you know, the, the Norvell comments. You guys were talking about how that was something that gave the media to latch on to. And all these celebrities show up, you know, Friday and Saturday to do the broadcast. The one, the biggest, the talk of the week was game day being there for uh, ESPN on on a Saturday morning. They didn't talk about anything CSU, anything. And now I understand the story was not CSU, was not Jay Norvell. It was, you know, it's Deion Sanders and what he's doing down there. That's why game day is there. But the reason you got the ratings, if you guys are right, and I think you guys are at least onto something at the very least, the reason the ratings are what they are, and you're going to make the money that you do off of broadcasts like that, is because of what Jay Norvell did to throw some fuel to the fire. But you didn't talk about him. Then you had Deion Sanders come onto the set. You didn't even ask him questions. It wasn't a journalistic interview. It was a conversation between guys who all just wanted to sit there and, if I say this FCC appropriately, just stroke each other's egos and just kind of compliment compliment each other. For what reason? Why is Deion Sanders there? For what reason? What that didn't add any TV value. And I'm not. This is not a sorry or a sad CSU fan. I'm always pro Colorado. I've said that numerous times on this show. I was a CU fan before I was a CSU student, and before my fanship changed at that point. But why is Dion there? And if you're gonna have Dion up there for that, and he's gonna talk about the game, why not have Coach Jay Norville? I'm not sure what the travel situation looked like, but no one, no one reached out to Jay Norville all week long. I mean the. I think the coaches show was Wednesday last week when the comments were made. Not one person even tried to have him on at all. But Deion Sanders was up there three days in a row on the stage doing the Pat McAfee thing and all that. But CSU got none of the attention. Did that kind of rub you guys the wrong way like it did a lot of the CSU Rams fans? Yeah, I think they... I think that college game day missed the mark not having Jay Norvell on there because that I, I felt like that just would have either fueled the fire or just let Jay Norvell explain himself because yeah. he, he got burned by so many media outlets, first take, college game day, all, all these all these shows leading up to the game and he didn't even he he didn't have a chance to defend himself, yeah. which I, I thought wasn't fair. Um 
They did. They did. I thought Mark Jones did a great job in the broadcast. He kept it pretty neutral. There were times, which I get too, because CU they are a very hype team and they have a great story. And Deion Sanders is kind of he's he's really the trailblazer as like a new head coach, taking advantage of this like NIL trend and yep. everything. So I I do I I as a college football fan I thought really getting in on on CU is important because they're doing things that we haven't seen before this is a new era of college football but I I do think they missed the mark not having Jay Norvell on and I I felt bad because it's like they're they're just kind of burning this guy (laughs) and and I I like Jay Norvell I I think he's a great coach I I like his attitude I, I thought he coached a great game by the way going taking those yards Instead of the three points, I thought that really just set the standard for our mentality going forward in that game and how they were going. I, I think that showed what they were working on during the week and how they were taking all this criticism. I thought they bounced back great from that. And I mean, I, I thought he coached a great game too. And I, I just, I just wish that he would have got some more love before the season because he is a good head coach. And that that's kind of my gripe with the whole college game day yeah. and week before that, that game. Yeah. And Adam, I mean, you are a freshman here at CSU, so you're not unfamiliar with his rivalry as someone right. that grew up here, but yep. you are new to it in terms of having to pick a side, I guess. Were you at all, I guess, turned off by the fact that there was really no conversation about the game and it was all about what coach prime was doing and everything CU did that kind of turn you off to the fact that game day was there covering that game for sure there's a lot of factors to consider here and first and foremost is yes that the the media was all very one-sided for that entire week I see a lot of it come down through the social media sphere even like you mentioned Austin you mentioned the show's first take what are some of the other ones Pat McAfee was there Pat McAfee McAfee show right Um, so yeah so they they talk their talk and they, it gets circulated through the social media as well and all the all the students see that all the other people who may not listen to the show see that it touches everybody and they all see the media so they're all thinking and their minds are all geared towards CU so the fact that CSU can come onto their campus at Folsom and you see Tory flexing in the end zone that's very empowering for the CSU team yeah. and honestly I didn't pay attention to much of the media the media the next day but. I would imagine that Dion, just seeing him from the clips on the sideline, he was speechless. He yeah. was head down, wasn't saying anything. The sunglasses were off. Yep. So the press conferences were pro- probably humbling in a sense for him. Cause yeah. the, the, he, he did show class in, in, his, yeah. in his post-game interviews. Not Shadour, well, by the way. Yeah, Not Shadour. No, no. And no. I like Shadour, but that taunting when a guy turns like, – a head coach for the other team turns his back to you, that was pathetic. Yeah. It was a joke. Yeah. It, but, like, Deion Sanders, he did show a lot of uh, class with the whole Henry Blackburn wow. thing and uh, his comments towards Jay Norvell. No bad blood, which I, I did respect out of that because – as as Dion or that CU team, you have to respect CSU. They came yep. out and punched you in the mouth, and they're like, hey, we're here. Let's mm-hmm. go. They were the better team for 58 minutes on that field. And what stopped CSU from being the better team in terms of the scoreboard that night was that prevent defense on that final drive. And I don't know how many times I have to see that happen to a team that I follow or a team any team. I don't understand why defensive coordinators go into a prevent defense especially in the situation where you it's not like you're trying to keep them from scoring any points it's not tied it's not you're up one or two you're up eight what's the worst case scenario when you're up eight points you burn deep you get they score a touchdown and then they have to go for two and they get it and it's tied they cannot win the game on that drive there's no chance it's literally impossible 
So why are you playing so freaking conservative when you gave up 20 points the entire game? In 58 minutes of game time, your defense gave up 20 points. Now this team's going to have to go down the field in two minutes, 98 yards, and try to find eight. Eight points? That's almost half the amount of points they've scored the entire game. But then you back off and you let them chunk play, chunk play, chunk play. And they did it so fast that you actually had a chance to go down and try to get a game-winning field goal yourself. So it's just, I mean, you guys can talk about it. I've talked about it plenty this week. <laughs> Your thoughts, I guess, on the, the, the final sequence there and the regulation of the two-minute drill. I mean, dude, when, when, uh, when Patty had that punt, it, great punt. He did a great job that night punting and everything, too. Yeah. I, I have a class with him, and I do want to get some clarification on when, when they do the rugby punts and normal punts, but yeah. that's a conversation for another time. But what a what a punt to pin them in inside or on the two yard line, and when we're going in into that before that drive, I'm talking with my roommate who I was watching the game with, and it's like, dude, we're gonna win. Like Kamara has just been getting after Shadur. He's been causing problems. Our secondary going into that game, I was a little worried about, but they they played pretty well for the amount of uh, uh, players that they have, the weapons that CU has, but. Just going into that, I, I was pretty confident. And then I'm just seeing they're allowing these big plays to happen. Getting to like Xavier uh, Weaver. Is it Weaver? I forget his name. Yeah, Weaver. Yeah. Uh, getting it to him. He, he's a problem, by the way. But yeah. um, And he stepped up, him and uh, Horn Jr., because he, he had to step up after Travis Hunter went down. But that that just sucked seeing, seeing those big plays allowed, especially with a team that can make those plays. But... Um, that it was just a heartbreaker because it was just like it was a perfect scenario for CSU to win get them inside the five yard line minute 40 left and it was like oh we got this in the bag and it just didn't happen and it was was just it was crushing yeah and there was there was a point I was I was in the front row I was saddled over the concrete I was waiting to rush the field yeah it it was electric The, the atmosphere was something like the, the the small amount of people there for the amount of noise that we produced was insane. I could hear it from my house. I, oh, live, I live a couple blocks away, and for I could sure. hear the, the stadium from my house. The speakers were blaring, yeah. and we were all just in one section. And so at one point, I'm with my buddies, and I, I hold my phone. I, I look up, what is the, the Rocky Mountain Showdown football record? And it's like 67 wins for CU, 22 for Colorado State in yeah. history. And I'm like, holy cow, we're going, we're going to win. Yeah. In the third quarter, at that point, we were like, we're going to win. It's going to happen. So to see what happened and the, the fallout in the fourth quarter and eventually the, the energy, it just we, we, everybody died. It was a somber, somber moment when, yeah. when CU drove in that, that touchdown. Well, the other big story coming out of this game, and I might have a different idea and a different perspective on this than most people do, is the Henry Blackburn hit. Um, I personally, I understand it was dirty. I would never condone that hit. But as a coach on the sideline who isn't coaching that, but if I saw one of my players do that, I loved the hit. Loved it. Because you have to think of all the stuff that goes into it. People are forgetting about that. All the stuff. What has CSU heard since November, December of last year, whenever the, the, the hiring went down? All about Prime. All about CU. All about how your little brother. All about how you're going to get killed tonight. All about this. All of that. And then you go. It's the whole week. 
of ta- you know the hats and sunglasses thing and now you have to hear about all these fans talking about oh we're gonna do this we're gonna do that you got media members saying oh we'll see on this day uh you know but you, bro you sit in the press box shut your freaking mouth you don't influence this game whatsoever you sit there and you tweet about the game not about you know talking trash so you're csu you see all this and then the scuffle at the beginning of the game and then travis hunter's running his mouth saying you're all bark no bite as a competitor what are you gonna do what what does my guess my idea what i would do is exactly what henry did on that hit and i'm not condoning it. i will never condone dirty play but if you think that was the most egregious thing in college world history i suggest you go look up major rights hit against oklahoma because that was a football play i'm glad travis hunter's come out and said that i'm glad coach prime came out and said that because since then the, the conversation's kind of stopped and i you guys can give your opinions i guess now on the uh, the henry blackburn hit <laughs> Can I can I ask what LeBron's doing here in the in the Twitter segment asking about that hit? LeBron I just, I don't is understand. a pick me girl in NBA <laughs> basketball form. You know, it's oh, it's it's always got to be about him, right? Uh, who'd you say? LeBron James. Oh, no, I thought you I thought you meant LaFlop James. Yeah, oh, I thought that was, man. Yeah, I thought that, don't even start on LeBron. Hey, man. Softest dude ever, bro. Hey, man. No, I, love, I love LeBron. <laughs> LeBron, if you're listening, I'm just joking. Yeah, but no, he's LeBron, not, I'm not joking. He's, he's not suck. listening. Trust me. <laughs> but uh, Austin, I mean, what do you think about the Henry Blackburn hit? I, so, yeah, I, I'm with you. Was it dirty? Yes. Yeah, sure. But when you're playing in a rivalry game, those hits happen. Because you, you especially in, in this game, because of all the talk that was happening and CSU, their only answer to all that talk since they got no media recognition was to go out there and play. Yep. And it wasn't just that hit. The Rams were hitting hard all night long. Those first few drives that CU was putting together, they were getting smacked by the Rams defenders. And the Rams showed out to play. And Henry Blackburn is one of the leaders on this defense. He is a hard hitting safety, him and Jack Howell back there. And he, he was just going in there. Was it late? Yes. Was he trying to hurt Travis Hunter? Absolutely not. And, and that's where it was just getting ridiculous. I think since – and shout out to Travis Hunter. He he went out there with trying to play on a lacerated liver. Yep. That's insane because when he, when he did get hit, it was like it was either – that's either internal organs or, a rib, or yeah. a rib. And that either one of those is not easy to play with, and you shouldn't be playing with that. Right. And the doctors ended up taking him out of the game, thankfully. Um, so he didn't sustain more of a serious injury. But I just think in a rivalry game, those type of hits are going to happen. That's a part of football. You're going to get hit. Where it's not two-hand touch. It's They're playing tackle football. And, th- and hard hits, not like that because it was late, but just hard hits in general, that's necessary in football. You yeah. want to you want to bring fear into those receivers going across the middle. And guess what? That's it a, did. That's exactly it, what it did. It did. Yeah. yeah. And not just that hit too. There was plenty of hits that you can go back and watch film on that were dirty. Yeah. And it wasn't just like CSU was playing dirty. Uh, I, do you guys know who Captain Sano is? Yeah. Yeah. Shadur Sanders took one out of his playbook yep. and tried poking Kamara in the eye. Yep. Yeah. What, what if he scratched his cornea or something and had to deal with that for the rest of his life and because no eye pokes are bad? That. Yeah, that was dirty too. The, the, there was the, dirty plays. The punch thrown by the D-line on CU on that, that, that one scramble. Mm-hmm. Everyone saw it. It happens. And I don't even care about that stuff. 
I, I don't like it, it happens. It's a rivalry game. It's football. So, it's football. That yeah, the, and that hit Blackburn did. That's not a part of football. And that that hit is they're trying to take it out as including the targeting, which is great because that's player safety. But there's there's hard hits, man. They, well, that, that's how you that's how you play football. You go in it's, and it's hit hard. It's yeah. part of football. They, that's why they have a 15 yard penalty for stuff like that. And that's why he didn't get ejected. Everything that happened in that happened exactly how it's supposed to. Big hit, set the tone. But guess what? Here's 15 yards for CU, and then two plays later, a touchdown. That's football. So, yeah, it's not not football. It is just not within the rules. And there's, they have precautions for that, and that's a 15-yard penalty. And I think that's all where it needs to stop, all the death threats and all that. I'm hoping they're done now after Prime. Everyone came out and said what they said. Um, but, yeah, I, I like the hit. I like the grit of this team. This team's on the road this week against a team that punched them in the mouth, similar to what we did to CU uh, on Saturday. What, what I guess before we send into a break here, what are your thoughts on this matchup with Middle Tennessee this week? Yeah, I, I think I, I would be surprised if the CSU team doesn't come out with the similar or same energy that they had last week because we we did get disrespected by Middle Tennessee last last year at home too. Uh, Middle Tennessee put up twenty seven unanswered points in that first half. That, that's unacceptable, and I think this defense is playing with the chip on their shoulder. They're playing nasty. I love it, and I, I think I think our offense is just going to blow them out of the water, yeah, in we'll my see. opinion, because our, our offense is looking great. Yeah, well, it's time for them to get back. Adam, do you have any thoughts on the Middle Tennessee matchup this week? I think you've hit it on the head. Yeah. All right, well, we'll turn the page. we got to sit down, Austin, with uh, Kennedy Stanford from CSU Volleyball. We'll listen to that interview coming up next. But first, Queen with We Are the Champions here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Welcome back to Ramblers on 90.5. KCSU Fort Collins. KCSU presents Samia at the Aggie Theater with support by Venus and the Flytraps this October 19th. For a chance to hear the indie pop singer rock the stage on her newest albums tour, text HONEY to 970-538-5278. Again, that is HONEY, H-O-N-E-Y, to 970-538-KCSU to see Samia live at the Aggie Theater this October. Austin and I had a chance to sit down earlier this week with outside hitter from CSU Volleyball, Kennedy Stanford. A lot of nice intel from her and they uh, get ready for the conference tournament or conference play this week. Joined now by Kennedy Stanford, outside hitter from CSU Volleyball. How are you doing today, Kennedy? Doing pretty good. Yeah, you guys just got done with practice and volleyball has obviously been your life. Mm-hmm. Kind of run me through the background of your volleyball story, your volleyball history. Ah, so it's kind of funny. I didn't really start playing until uh, seventh grade and that was really just to keep my carpool. I'm gonna be completely honest. <laughs> I was carpooling with someone I said I wasn't gonna play and then she decided to try out and so I decided to try out as well. I was on the fourth lowest team. I was A1, A2, B1, B2. I was really bad uh, for quite some time. And so didn't really start playing like high level competitive volleyball until I was probably 15. So, I mean, what does that conversation look like? Because now here you are a few years later and you're one of the best players on your team, one of the best players in the conference. You're playing in global matchups across the world. What is, I mean, how does it get that far? What, what kind of, when did it hit you that like you could be good at this? Yeah, um, you know, it was kind of just a process. I had bounced around in positions a bunch and I'd watched a lot of volleyball, you know, a lot of high level volleyball whenever I was, you know, first starting out and thinking like, oh, I want to do that, but ne- not necessarily being in a position where 
I could do anything remotely close. And so then as I progressed, there were a lot of coaches along the way who helped me kind of start to get better and better each year and make these giant leaps. And so after a few years of a lot of just like one-on-one -on -one practice and just getting reps, 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 it was finally like, okay, I think I can actually do this in college and I think I could do it at a high level. Well, you're, now you obviously are here, you're a senior now, you've had plenty of time on campus, you're a journalism and communications major. What exactly do you wanna get into with that? Because there's so many avenues you can go through. Yes, I uh, was focused more on the PR side. So sports PR is kind of my goal. I would love to, my parents are from Illinois, so I'd love to end up in Chicago, oh, would nice. be like my dream city because I love Chicago sports. And I think that that's a really great city that supports sports right. and a lot of culture there that I would love to tap into. What, I guess, got you interested then in the sports um, communications type side of things? And um, I guess, what was that initial moment like when you realized that's what you wanted to do? Yeah, my dad, we, I, as I was young, loved sports. That was our like big thing that we bonded up around virtually any sport. You could turn it on and we would watch. And I also enjoyed writing. And so that made me think about sports journalism. And that was kind of my goal when I first came into college. And then exploring the PR side of things, I really discovered that I enjoyed kind of the nuances of like building a story, creating a story and kind of uplifting a specific team with a goal. And so that was something that I kind of transitioned into as I got into college. I saw on your CSU bio on the website, Steph Curry is your favorite athlete. Mm. You just mentioned Chicago. I got to ask you, because obviously we're in a, the era of bandwagon fans. I got to ask you, where's the Steph Curry thing come from? Yeah, I mean, I just loved that team from a pretty, like for a long time. I wouldn't necessarily say bandwagon, but it wasn't <laughs> necessarily like a, like a hometown thing where I, you know, had anything specific with that team that I had a connection to. It was mainly just, I loved their style of play. And so then I kind of started watching them probably 2013, 14, before they really picked up being what they were elite and then from there, it was I became a big fan of Steph and just their whole kind of philosophy. Nice. And then we're going to switch it up and get some volleyball questions going. Okay. Um, how, how are you feeling personally? And how's the team feeling after a very busy non-conference schedule and a lot of matches played and sets? Yeah, uh, we are, we've joked a bunch that we're just trying to squeeze as much volleyball out of the season as possible at this point. I think we've played as many five setters as you possibly yeah. can. Um, but I think we all feel good about it because it puts us to the test competitively. Like it is something that we knew going into the year that we were gonna have a really hard non-conference. And that was something that we wanted. We wanted to really put ourselves to the test and getting wins against these ranked opponents or power five teams and even pushing teams to five that we probably aren't necessarily supposed to be competing with just based on what people may see on paper is something that I think we all wanted to do and prove to us that we are the level of talent that is needed to compete, not only in the Mountain West, but beyond that in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, well, you mentioned you played so many sets, five setters <laughs> galore of the week where you played 20 sets yes. in four matches. <laughs> what is your, I guess, refueling look like and what does your rest look like ahead mm -hmm. of these weeks because you went from a week where you played back-to-back -back nights against mm -hmm. two top 10 teams and the next week you played four or five setters mm -hmm. and then you had and then the following week was like three matches in a row yeah what does your rest and relaxation kind of look like yeah I, a lot of credit to uh megan frey, frey our trainer she is amazing at keeping us you know healthy she keeps our bodies right and so that is really what keeps us going is her ability to uh 
keep us healthy and be in tune with what we need. And so a lot of talking to her, a lot of talking to our dietitian, Matt, um, we did a lot of you know, preseason talks about make sure you're taking care of our bo your bodies. And so we were able to kind of develop plans for each of us and now are able to work on that while we're in season. But looking at this roster, I mean, year after year, you've led this team in kills and led this team in attacks. That's not so much the case anymore, not because you have, you know, lessened your impact on this team, but because other players have kind of rose with you. Talk about the depth and the positives. A lot of people would look at this like a negative, oh, you're not getting as many kills or touch, and stats-wise, you're lower. But overall, as a team, Coach Emily Cohen's talked about having all of you guys going at the same time. And right now it's kind of all clicking for you guys. Yeah, I think we knew that we were gonna be a very balanced team this year. And it's, you know, it's fun to have, be the player who gets all the balls, but I, it makes everyone's life easier if everything is spread out. And so yeah. it was one of those things where we knew the type of talent we had in the gym and that we should have five hitters who can all put a ball away. And so that was one of those things where it was like, I was a known for me heading into this year yeah. was, it's got to be more balanced for us to be as successful as we can. And so it was a, honestly a good thing that we ended up balancing it out. Yeah. Well, your offense starts with Emory Herman. You said mm -hmm. preseason that there was gonna be a fun challenge mm -hmm. to try to figure out how to play with Emory. Mm -hmm. And Emory is gonna have to find out how to pass the ball to five different hitters that mm -hmm. she's never played with. You guys got a bit of a head start there playing in the Global uh, Series this summer. Mm -hmm. I guess, what's your relationship with Emory? And I guess, how have you guys quickly been able to kind of get up to speed together? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was nice that she was able to come in in January. And so we were able to get a connection going a lot earlier. Like we're seven months into playing with each other rather than being two months. So that helps. Um, but I think that Global Challenge, I credit a lot to us being able to kind of click quickly because you're off in a foreign country, you only know, you know, me and Emery are the only people who know each other as we're yeah. heading in. And so it's one of those things where our connection and us being able to find each other and find a way to work out our full connection for what was two matches a day for a bunch of days was really helpful. Awesome. And then, so you have all these accolades, Mountain West All-Conference, you had that a couple of times, uh, multiple Mountain West Offensive Player of the Week, Mountain West Academic All-Conference and Mountain West Scholar-Athlete. You got that once. Um, how have you been able to make an impact as a leader with your teammates? Because, uh, I mean, you're a senior. You have all these accolades. You've done – you have an incredible resume here. Um, and how have you been a leader to your teammates and especially those uh, either underclassmen or those that haven't had that Mountain West Conference experience? Yeah, it's definitely something that I – try to do is like make an effort to build relationships off the court and outside of volleyball. I think that it's easy when we're on the court to kind of connect over everything that's going on, but finding time to like meet up for coffee or ice cream or whatever with everyone off the court is what I think makes a better leader because it's that trust that we have. And so I think that that is something that I credit a lot to being able to lead on this team is taking the volleyball side out of it. And then once we do get on the court, being able to have people who are willing to ask questions, that always helps because I think we're all experienced enough that with our freshmen and our sophomores, we all want to answer any questions they do have. And so as they are more comfortable just talking to us, that becomes a lot easier for everyone. Well, speaking of leadership, you guys are under obviously a new coaching staff now. You said you were relieved when she walked in the room in the spring and that was your coach, or I guess last fall, and that was your coach. What are kind of the differences now? You've played three years under Tom and now a, a whole non-conference slate with Emily. What are kind of the differences? What are the changes that have made 
uh, positively, I guess, or negatively, if you yeah. want, with <laughs> the coaching changes here? Yeah, it's been all positive with yeah. Emily. It's a lot of, she knew us before, and so that's a lot of where that relief comes from, is she knew us as players and we knew her as a coach. And so now that she's kind of developed her head coaching kind of style, she's found a lot of balance on she knows when we need a kick in the butt and when we need to be pushed and she knows when it's just time to encourage us and and a lot of these fifth that fifth sets were in pressure situations and she's really i think shown in those uh, scenarios where she's found a way to meet us where we're at and give us the right type of encouragement um, and so that is something that I really credit her for is not being cool under pressure in a lot of situations where it's easy to get stressed as a coach and as players. She's found a middle ground where she can push us without being too hard on us. Well, you mentioned she's able to stay cool, calm, and collected, and Austin and I were talking about this before, and we want to talk about your stoicism. It's like you're never too high, never too low. You can have the biggest kill of your life, and it just seems like you're just going for a walk, right? You kind of match Emily Cohen on that in terms of no highs, no lows, and just kind of middle ground. Is that something that's just very natural for you? Is that something you kind of developed? Yeah, it is something that is natural for me. I, uh, it's kind of, you know, there's a lot of different personalities on our team. You know, you see Nemo running around giving yeah. everyone hugs, <laughs> and like there's Annie who's got that like heavy competitive nature okay. to her that you can just feel. And so kind of having that balance of being somebody who, can be steady is I think nice as I'm on the court six rotations and yeah. it's a lot of contacts that I'm taking anyway and so no one moment can outweigh the next because I'm doing too much for yeah. that to kind of carry over and so I think that finding a nice medium middle ground that everyone can kind of reset to is something that I try to do. Yeah. Well you just mentioned you're a six rotation player you didn't even start playing volleyball until seventh grade. I mean, when did you start seeing those skills develop where you could, you know, you're, I mean, you're not the biggest outside hitter on any roster, but you compete with the biggest and the best of them all, but you also can play that back line and kind of give that uh, lateral quickness and things like that that are kind of required back there. When did that kind of kick in and when did those, you know, skills yeah. start developing for you? Um, it was probably like when I was 17 that I really like nailed down the focus on the back row side of things. I was playing a lot of different positions as I was younger and so it was the first year that I really got to focus on being an outside and so then that kind of built that into the, my game and that was where Tom decided okay I think that six rotations is an option here and so from there when I arrived that was kind of the next thing that they wanted me to work on as finding a way for me to build the passing and then the defense into my game was a big deal because we knew Bree was going to graduate a year after I was here and all of that and so they wanted to find a way for me to develop that side of my game. Yeah. And then, um, so volleyball is growing as a sport. Mm -hmm. It's gotten huge this year, 92,003 people for that Nebraska game. And with all these new TV deals on Sundays and everything, what's your reaction to the growth of volleyball? Yeah, it's, I mean, something that you kind of have to take pride in. Watching the Nebraska game and seeing kind of all of the records being broken, I think Virtually every team this year has broken some sort of attendance record. That is something that's impressive. And my parents were people who didn't watch volleyball at all. And so I knew kind of the infectious nature of the sport. Like once you get somebody watching, they'll stay watching. Yep. And so I understood that. But to see that really just multiply so quickly is something that, I mean, it's so impressive. And it is, 
a testament to the amount of communities out there that are really rallying around their volleyball teams, and that is something that's really nice. Yeah, we've talked about it before. We think volleyball is going to be a, a, one of the major sports mm -hmm. down the road, and I guess a, a big reason was that was we had our eyes open with this mm -hmm. program and with players like you. And looking back and some of the biggest moments that kind of drag you in, a number 10 win against Kentucky and things like that, those big wide out moments. Mm -hmm. I mean, what are those like to be in this 8,000 strong? I mean, there's only so many programs right now that can kind of fill an arena like that. You get to yeah. play in one of those. What's that like? Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And it's one of those things where you kind of get chills when you come in Moby on that like night. You see how many fans are there every time. You know, we go in at like 12 minutes and come back out at six minutes. And so in that kind of six minute span is when the stands really start to fill up and you like start to realize, okay, this is gonna be a sellout. And as you come back out and you get the goosebumps and everything, you really feel the crowd rally behind you. That is something that you really can't get many yeah. other places. And even just the way that Moby is set up, like I have a friend who's on Kentucky and we were talking to her after and they were not ready for an environment like that. And that's a testament to our fans because they've oh. played in front of large crowds, but the fact that they weren't used to an atmosphere that was that loud and that engaged and that really understands the sport very, very well, because I think all of our fans are educated, it's something that is something that we should like take pride in, and I definitely do. Yeah. Well, the non-conference schedule is behind you. Mm -hmm. This week starts the week of conference play, and you guys aren't starting any easier. Boise State's a great team with a lot of great hitters. Um, you know, Paige Barsh, I believe it's yes. one of the best players in the conference. Yes. You guys got a, your hands full with that. You're going into this conference week. This is when the games, not the non-conference doesn't matter, but conference, you know, those are the games yeah. you're, you're supposed to win. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts and feelings going into conference yeah. um, here a couple days out? Definitely feeling confident. I think that we put ourselves through a gauntlet in non-conference so that we could come out of this with some level of confidence, but also an understanding of how to play a lot of different teams. We've played top 10 teams that have the most athletic players and we've played teams that are a lot more scrappy, a lot smaller, that are very similar to other teams we'll see in the Mountain West. And so I think that we've prepared ourselves well and now we know like finding our consistent level in a conference slate where every night people are going out trying to beat you is very fun. It's the fun part of season where we really get to find our stride. Kennedy Stanford outside hitter for CSU volleyball and that's our second time sitting down with a player so far this year and I guess what were your kind of your biggest takeaways Austin from that I mean number one Kennedy is as chill off the court as she is on the court and just super nice gave a lot of cool insight about her and I, I just couldn't believe that she didn't really start playing competitively until what 17 is that yeah like seven years ago six seven years ago. yeah which is insane just, I mean, just to be a D1 athlete and not even taking it that serious, but to be a D1 athlete with the accolades that she has. Yeah. Like, we're talking Mountain West all-conference and getting it done in the classroom, just an extremely motivated person. And I, I, I love talking to her because it, it was just really cool to get that uh, insight on her, especially when you don't really see much on the court because she's so 